Welcome to Attorney Heart, the podcast focused on bringing awareness to and promoting attorney well-being. Join Attorney Heart as you embark on a journey to improve the quality of your professional and personal life. And now, here's your host, Fernando Flores. Looking up, there's always sky. Rest your head, I'll take you high. We won't fade into darkness. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Attorney Heart Podcast. This is Fernando, your host, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Really excited to bring our next guest, Attorney Belen Gomez. Belen, how are you? Good to see you. Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Excited to have you on and talk to you a little bit about your journey. And just so that our listeners have a sense of who you are, Belen. Um, Attorney Belen Gomez, she's actually the founder and owner of the Law Office of Belen Gomez, APC. She is a bilingual attorney who's really, really dedicated to helping clients obtain access to justice. And she helps her clients specifically with family-based immigration cases, such as family petitions, adjustment of status, uh, parole in place, waivers, naturalization, consular processing, deferred actions, administrative relief, um, as well as U visa and VAWA cases. And actually, folks don't know this, and that's what I'm telling you, uh, we actually met back in the days at the Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles, when you were actually doing a little bit of work in immigration and employment law, right? Yeah, well, I had done both at Legal Aid, and so after law school, um, I did, I got a fellowship there doing the immigration side, like uh, helping survivors with domestic violence. Right, right. I remember that, and I had just started in two thousand seven doing the in the employment law unit, doing a lot of you know wage and hour trials and labor commissioner claims. So, if you could just you know, let us know a little bit. I, I told folks about your journey into the legal profession, but if you could let us know a little bit about, you know, why is it that you decided to become an attorney? You know, what was it that motivated you, inspired you to enter the legal profession? And in particular, you know, to start doing the work that you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because if somebody, if you knew me, if you were part of my family when I was growing up, it would have come as a surprise. I was the youngest, I'm very small, um, and I'm Latina, and in our culture, like, you know, it's kind of one of these things where the adults have their adult conversations and the kids kind of, you know, hang back and don't really give too much opinion. So I wasn't very, like, argumentative <laughs> or, or outspoken much, but it was always a passion of mine because I think a lot of it was knowing my family history and knowing it as part of American history through my family. So I think I was able to tie that history with mainstream history that I learned in school. Um, and just knowing about like the civil rights era and things like that, my, my family's somewhat role in it, um, the reasons that they were involved in it, that for me was super motivational because I felt like my family is a huge part of this country, but yet I felt like we weren't seen as that. And I definitely see that um, for what the work that I do, like immigrants or people who are not very represented. I, I just always felt like it was important to tell that story, to have somebody to back them up. So I think that like deep down is what like really motivated me to want to go to law school and to be involved in that. 
Um, but yeah, I think it, I, I surprised a lot of people <laughs> um, because, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of these people who's like what people normally think of as an attorney. So um, yeah, I, I think like having that sense of, well, number one, I never knew any like Latino attorneys, much less a Latina attorney. <laughs> so I think being in law school and being a little bit naive to the lack of knowledge I knew or the lack of, um, yeah, I guess knowledge of the process or what it took to be an attorney and being naive to it was in a way helpful to me mm. <laughs> because, because it wasn't until I was there that I was kind of like, oh, wow, like there's so much that I don't know and all these other people do, you know, so it, it was a little bit eye-opening. Um, but I guess, you know, I was there for a reason. So that's what got me through it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You, you know, you're, you're, you kind of reminded me of the story of a professor that puts two math problems on the board. And then this one student, you know, gets to the class late and he looks at both of them and he writes them down and it, they were like incredibly hard. And then he comes back and he shows the professor the answers to them and he got them right. And he told, you know, he told them, oh, you know, these were, these were really tough. And the professor tells him, you know, that was, these were actually impossible problems to solve. And you just solved them. And the fact that he didn't know that, you know, somebody had told them it was impossible, it kind of benefited him. And in a way, you kind of, you know, you didn't know how few. And in case folks don't know, actually, the law profession only comprises of 2% of Latinas and even less actually own their own law firm. And you're you're part of of the one percent at least in that regard <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but i want to ask you the reason why i also mentioned that you graduated in 2008 because you know what was happening in 2008 you know the economic downturn and uh things were really bad you know for folks who may be looking for you know a transition for folks that may be looking to start their own law firm even right I know that I don't know that you started it in 2008 and you can tell us about that journey as well but <laughs> what were maybe some of the challenges you face in terms of coming out of law school in that time frame and then you know how also were you able to overcome them yeah oh that was such a crazy but like very like a, a period of a lot of growth but a lot of like struggle and difficulty um, for a lot of people, because when I graduated, I remember people would just like intern like forever long <laughs> without pay, like at these places, just hoping to get a paid position, much less, mm. you know, like an actual like attorney salary or position or that stability. Um, so in my situation, I graduated and I was having like, a, I had like a personal struggle so I didn't take the bar right away. I ended up getting the fellowship um, that we spoke about at Legal Aid. And so that kind of, you know, held me through for a little bit. But then I tried to pass the bar and I didn't. So I was a repeat taker. So then that was a struggle because there's, you know, that, that whole period we all went through, right? Of like the uncertainty of like, where am I going to be in six months? <laughs> um, so there was that. And then... I kind of tried different paid jobs doing immigration work. Um, and I had worked at a legal clinic at a law school. And I really enjoyed that. 
and I enjoyed being in, being able to be like a mentor and also um, continuing with the nonprofit work. But I did see like there is there was a huge need for attorneys that represent people, but that nonprofits are not covering, right? Because nonprofits get grants for only certain types of cases, but other people deserve quality representation as well. So um, during one summer, DACA had, had gone through and was going to take effect. And I was like, um, I want to be a part of this. And I, I couldn't do it as part of my um, full-time role at the law school. So I kind of opened up my office just part-time. And so I wasn't like totally committed. I was like, this is just something I want to do. <laughs> okay. so, um, within that year, it kind of just really took off and I couldn't do both. And I had to make a decision on what I was going to do. And I decided to go with my firm just because I felt like in my heart, that's what I really went to law school for was to um, represent people, have that freedom of picking what cases that I wanted to do. Mm. But yeah, it was, it was one of these situations where part of me was kind of like, well, it is a huge commitment and it is just all this overhead and what if it doesn't work out? But I think that not passing the bar and having these like other personal struggles kind of like made it okay for me to fail. <laughs> like, if I fail, oh wow, like big deal, who cares? Like I'll just work somewhere else. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I kind of freed myself. Honestly, like I felt like having had failed and yeah, it was hard, but like I was able to pick myself up and move on and do, you know, like continue on with work or with the bar or whatever else. I think that really helped me. Oh, that's such a beautiful share. <laughs> I, I, I say it because I have, I'm also a repeat bar taker and I've talked about it, mm-hmm. but I hadn't really seen my failing the bar exam as giving me permission to fail in future endeavors, but it's true. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And yeah. I, I think that's so powerful because I think, yes, it's great to, to win right all the time and win, 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 but it's when you fail that you really get to know yourself. And mm-hmm. even at a recent event, they ask, like, as, as oh, attorneys, so much of your life is right for so long because for you to just even get into that situation right it means that you got good grades in a lot of classes applied to college you got in like you passed that you got into law school like you have so many wins so for you to fail the bar it's kind of like the first time for a lot of people to like really struggle with themselves so I think yeah it definitely helped me like I felt like I, yeah, permission to fail. Like I was like, well, if I fail, I fail and then I'll do something else. Like it's not the end of the world. So yeah. That's awesome. And so when did you start your, your law firm? Uh, in 2011. No, no, okay. no. 2012, 2012. Yeah. 2012. I, so I, I, mm-hmm. Yeah. 2012. That's when DACA went through. So I opened up my own firm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And as you opened up your law firm in 2012, um, you know, what, what, what would you say were some of the, of the challenges in, in terms of now being a business owner? I don't know about you, but, uh, I majored in sociology and rhetoric. I did not learn how to run a business right yeah. in, in undergrad. I went to law school. I took business administrations, but 
you know, that goes more, goes, goes more into stock options and this and that and the other. It doesn't really tell you the day-to-day operations of how, how to run a business, you know? So what would you say were some of the, the bigger challenges that you face in, in becoming a business owner? I don't know if you have other business owners in your family, right? But um, yeah, if you could tell us a little bit, a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. I don't really, well, my parents were not business owners, but my grandparents were. Okay. And they did really well. So they, um, some of them were immigrants, some of them were not. So I think I, I knew about that, but I didn't, you know, see the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, the business aspect, I didn't go to, I went to law school, not business school. So it was one of these things of trial and error, but I think a lot of people learn the best that way. Um, luckily I didn't have, I only had like me to be responsible for, (laughs) not a family yet. So, um, in a way, like I felt okay with that, right? Like, well, if business is not booming, I'm okay. Like I could survive. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think another aspect of it is because I was, I had such a like nonprofit background because I thought that's what I would do. And then, you know, because of the economy tanking, the, the nonprofit world was not doing great and kind of lost a lot of funding. So that was not an option. Yeah. Um, so I think charging people was difficult and knowing what to charge and like, I'm new and like, you know, one of those things of like, what am I worth? Yeah. Like, oh, that's so hard. But, um, but yeah, I think you just, I, I got used to it and I was able to do that. Um, what else? It, it has helped me that I'm bilingual. So I definitely am able to communicate with more people and having worked at, at, at offices where the attorney always, isn't always bilingual, you know, like I, I saw, you know, that difference of using an interpreter and not having to was helpful. Being young sometimes and being a woman is sometimes a challenge for some clients. Um, but, you know, clients will choose who they are comfortable with and that's fine. There's, there's enough cases all over the place to go around so yeah, yeah. especially yeah. especially now right oh uh, yes <laughs> so, let me ask you a little bit about that um wh- what would you say uh has been the difference in terms of practicing law uh, because you started 2012, so that means you started four years under Obama, and now you're three years in this new administration. Yeah. You know, um, has there been differences? You know, what perspective can can you provide around that? Yeah, there's definitely been huge differences. Um, I feel like the main difference. I I think I've always been busy for different reasons, and so. Under the last administration, we were busy because there's more opportunities for people. Right. For example, under DACA or even parole in place, which is a benefit for um, families of military, military families. Or just different, yeah, different things in general. People are able to apply and become legal. And now what we're seeing under this administration is there's more barriers. So um, there's a rhetoric of why don't you become legal? But then there's also so many policies making that impossible for a lot of families. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of delays. There's um, this, you know, like double-edged thing of, like I said, like 
criminalizing a person because they don't have status, but then also making it impossible for them to get status. That's difficult um, for the cases in general of having just an initial belief that people are here to do wrong, where previously it wasn't that way. So that's been really difficult to try to overcome that for people. So the cases have been delayed because there's constant changes. And then there's also just cancellation of benefits that we had before, right? Like they're trying to end DACA, that's in the courts. Um, they're trying to put this whole like wealth requirement for people um, that's currently being fought in the courts. Obviously, we see the separation of family, the children in cages. Um, yeah. yeah, so there, there's also talk of canceling parole in place, which is a benefit for military families. Um, what was the other one? Oh, temporary protective status um, is supposed to be canceled for um, citizens of a lot of different countries. So it's, it's this uncertainty that, you know, obviously, like, makes people very uneasy and as attorneys we take on that stress <laughs> for them um as well so i think all of those things are are difficult like a lot of people compare it to practicing law in quicksand mm. because we might start a case under a current policy but then six months down the line the policy's changed so, so that, Based on that specific point that you made, Belen, because you know I, I've I've never practiced immigration law till last year, uh, a few weeks where I went to the Dilly Detention Center in South Texas. Um, I went in July and September, and I learned a lot about asylum law, right at the border, which is very specific, right? I know that you have, um, you know, like affirmative, and then the kind of like more on the defense, right? And so I, I definitely learned a lot about that, but the if you get a case right if you take on a case and you sign a client up and you fill out the retainer and the policy is set up and it's stated one way and then six months like you just mentioned it changes does that make the case you know like impossible to move forward with how, do, how does that how does that work um yeah it, so it's super confusing right because so in certain cases like of the whole like well the public charge issue where there's like this wealth requirement where the government's saying you won't be a charge a public charge you won't get public benefits mm. they did give us like a certain deadline but it was very close to when the deadline was mm. so there's this mad rush to file before the deadline um before that rule would change so in that mm. sort of case definitely we we knew when there was kind of more of a benchmark somewhat but for other cases like what you're talking about for asylum i mean definitely not definitely not the attorney general um well the former attorney general jeff sessions um had pretty much taken it upon himself to change some of the the board of immigration appeals rulings on his own making it so that people could not get asylum if they're basing their claim on persecution or a lack of protection by the government because of um, gangs. So if somebody was being persecuted, there's a lot of like gangs, right. um, violence in Central America, 
or one that was pretty surprising for women who suffered domestic violence. Um, because in a lot of countries that's seen as like, oh, that's like your private matter, we're not gonna get involved. So what happens is the police don't protect women or don't won't arrest somebody. Um, so that is a huge problem. And so now women who suffer domestic violence and flee because they're not gonna be protected in their country. Yeah, that happened in the middle of people's cases. So wow. the, what, what had happened was the attorney general came out with the decision and maybe the next week the person had their final hearing on their case. And this whole time they had prepared based on a claim that had been protected this whole time. And, and also asylum cases can take years. So a person just kind of like in limbo this whole time, not knowing what's going to happen, what's the fate of their future. So, wow. yeah, it's, it's a crazy, crazy time. I know that it can be stressful. And so let me ask you a little bit about that. And a couple of questions focused on maintaining balance from your end, right? So how do you try to manage that stress? Mm -hmm. And then also oh. the second part of the question is, uh, you mentioned, you know, at the time you, when you first started, you didn't have family, right? And, and so how do you try to manage also family and um, moving your, your law firm forward? You know, what are some of the, the mm -hmm. tips that you have around that? Mm -hmm. Those are really great questions. So I guess with managing stress, there's always going to be work. I like, I think it's more of a, a frame of mind of I'm always be like, like in quotation marks busy, right? There's always things to do, but I think that um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, you have to take care of yourself so you're able to be at, you know, mile 25 or, you know, be, be at the end and not bring yourself out um, because that happens a lot of, it happens a lot. So, for me personally, I limit um, the removal defense, so the deportation defense um, caseload, because those are, they take up a lot of resources, like not just time and, you know, driving to the court and whatnot, but a lot of stress um, because they're heavy. They're heavy emotional yep. cases um, and just deadlines and things like that. So that's one way. Um, also just setting boundaries because like part of us in, in entering this profession and this, this specific area of law, it's because we really care about it and we really care about our clients, obviously, but we also have to have a boundary of like, well, my role is this and this is when I'm available for it because I can't, you know, Saturday night be working on this case. Like I kind of need to recharge my batteries. So I think that's another way, you know, so just having, having that separation is so helpful to recharge for me. Um, for having a family, yeah, like, so when I started my practice, it was just me, like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> single, no family, like, you know, I did what I wanted. Um, and so now, you know, I'm responsible for people. I, I, have, <laughs> I'm married, I have a son I'm expecting right now. So oh. I think for that, it was important for me to, to set certain, um, I guess like a structure in my office of like, mm. this, is, this is how 
things will work without me and it's okay. And I don't have to be like, I think part of it too is like, I care about my office and I want to know everything that's going on with every case. Right. But at the same time, <laughs> that's not good for me. Exactly. So being able to organize the systems, like put systems in place where it doesn't always have to be me knowing like saying about every single case. And, and that has to do with just, you know, having staff that you can, um, trust and that are good and <laughs> yeah and system place you know your case management system your billing system like all of these systems where it's not just like me doing every single little detail of the firm because really it was like in the beginning it's like me building my desk you know like and now I'm like <laughs> okay I could hire somebody to do these things that I don't need to do yeah so I, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And <laughs> I, I know also being a business owner, I, I got into, you know, I had a coach that I work with a business, a business uh, owner who had, has, has done very well for himself. And he taught me a lot about systems early on. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, because I picked up on that. And what would you say have been some of the most helpful systems that you've set up that others can potentially benefit from if they're thinking about starting their own law firm and maybe having a big caseload, right? Or if they just want to start their, their own business, what would you say mm -hmm. have been like the most helpful ones? Um, I think just being open to systems. So in the beginning, I really felt like, oh, I don't want like a huge overhead because I don't know at all what I'm doing. But then it ended up like costing me later, for example. <laughs> like I was doing my own payroll. <laughs> so, uh <-huh. laughs> this is horrible. Like that I am not meant to be that person <laughs> at all. Like, I know about words, not numbers, or like, you know, these percentage of taxes. So that was a huge waste of time. But um, <laughs> yeah, so just like hiring like set, like services that will do things that you don't need to do, like payroll or taxes or um, having a system for when somebody calls, what happens, right? Like, right. like you need to do a consultation and see what they're eligible for. And then this is how we send people up. And once they're a client, then what happens? So just having these step-by-step -step things already set out so that you're not like redoing it every single time. And so it saves so much time in that way. You don't have to make so many decisions, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really important. I think that's exactly what happens when you set up systems, you remove the need to constantly be making decisions, small and decisions, you know, on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. And when everybody knows how it's supposed to work, that's when you can really, you know, become efficient and also increase your impact, right? Increase sure. the, the, the level of representation because you're more focused on, on the higher end work as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so I want to, I want to ask you, uh, as we, as we wrap up, you know, if in, you know, in your journey in everything that you have learned, Belen, um as as an attorney as a person um what would you like to leave our listeners with you know say say that we we leave we leave the law firm we 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 let go of everything that we've built for ourselves and and this is it this is the last piece of advice that you want to give what what piece of advice would you uh leave them with so i have a lot of 
um, mentees because I, I um, take interns that are currently in law school and because of the nature of my work, they have to be bilingual. So it's a lot of, it ends up being a lot of Latino mentees path that all law students feel like they have to take to be successful. And I kind of just feel like that's not real. <laughs> like, so, so just from my experiences, I, I feel like you can create what you want, right? So um, with being at places that I really loved and being at places where I kind of felt like, oh, that wasn't the best experience ever. Like, I, I feel like I've been able to cultivate like an environment that I enjoy and that I, you know, want other people to enjoy as well like create this team so i think like yeah like don't don't settle for something that people tell you is the way it is or should be i think that would be my main thing yeah it's really liberating and just makes you happy i think mainly that would be the the main message i love it i love it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I think I think a lot of times we we do forget that that you can chart your own path, and especially you know when you're in law school and everybody's going to on campus interviews and we have to interview and we have to do this. It it kind of sometimes limits your creativity in terms of what you can create for yourself. So, sure. I appreciate that reminder, and it's so awesome, honestly, to to reconnect with you and just. Uh, you know, we met early on in both of our careers, right? And then just to see you thriving and growing and really making it happen in an area of law that um, a lot of folks need support in right now. It's really exciting to see. And I wish you awesome continued success, Belen. And Thank you. I appreciate that. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Definitely, definitely. Um, and if folks wanted to reach out, Belen, go ahead and just plug yourself. How can they reach out to you? What's the best way, you know, if they have questions about starting their own business or if they have questions just about, um, you know, the area of law that you're working in immigration, how can they connect? Sure. With you? Yeah. So I could best be reached at my office, the telephone number is 714-449-1581. Um, I also have an office in Riverside that I'm barely opening up, and that's 951-299-0114. They could email me as well. That's probably a really great way to get to me fast. And it's just Belen, B-E-L-E-N, at BelenGomezLaw.com. Wonderful. I'll make sure to include the information in the podcast show notes. And uh, again... I want to I want to thank you for your time. I know you're busy, but I really do appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast and sharing your attorney heart, sharing your journey, your story um, with attorney heart listeners. Okay. Thanks so much, Fernando. All right, Belen. Thank you again, and thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Attorney Heart Podcast. As always, very grateful to you, and I look forward to catching you at the next episode. Bye, Belen. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Fernando, your host of Attorney Heart. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, definitely subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. And if it can benefit anyone that you know, please share it. Attorney Heart is brought to you by iMatterNow. I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W. Please make sure to check our website at imatternow.com. Again, I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Every day presents an opportunity to engage in self-care. And remember that it is not selfish to take care of your well-being. It is necessary. So 
Take care and connect with you on the next Attorney Heart episode.